Welcome back to On the Road with Legal Talk Network. This is Lawrence Coletti, and I'm the host for today's show, which is being recorded from ABA Tech Show 2023 in Chicago, Illinois. We are still at the Hyatt Regency Gorgeous Hotel over here off of the uh, Chicago River as it flows down into Lake Michigan. It is picturesque. Uh, it's not terribly cold out today, which is a great thing because we're having a wonderful time, and I've got two wonderful guests joining me today. I have Pablo Arandondo. Did I get your last name correct? Yep, that's pretty close. Perfect. And I got an old friend, Steve Embry, uh, showed up as well. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Absolutely, absolutely. And you all just completed a speaking session called Using AI and Data Analytics in Litigation, which did our pregame apparently had nothing to do with data analytics. Am I correct? <laughs> right. Yeah, when we uh, when we planned this, it was before Chat uh, GPT came out. And, of course, that came out. It changed things. And then Pablo's company had a big announcement. And so we sort of shifted focus, made a, made a game time decision, and moved it a little, moved the subject around a little bit. Yeah, it's amazing. I, I hear about Chat GPT everywhere. I had some friends introduce me to it. I, I do a workspace out of WeWork, and they, they're programmers, and they say, hey, you need to try this. And so I've been uh, you know, experimenting, doing a little bit of co-authorship and blogging, uh, but the tool I find it really effective with is uh, loading up a series of tweets on a given subject that we're covering. It give me like the prominent handles and hashtags, and it really just gives you a lot of great information, whether it's quality or not, but it kind of frames the issue, which is really nice. So that's just been kind of my test case, but to understand there's some demand to use this uh, artificial intelligence in litigation. So let's start with that. So. Where, where are we right now seeing it being done? How is it being used today with, uh, with our litigators? First of all, thank you for having me. Great to be here. So, you know, ChatGPT, I think, gave a lot of people their first taste of the power of these things called large language models, which are really sort of the most exciting form of AI that we've seen in a while. And um, when properly used, uh, they're capable of helping with everything from legal research to e-discovery, parsing contracts, you know, uh, you know there's really, uh, anywhere in law because law is built entirely of language, right? So when you have something that can work at the level of language, um, it really can be applied all over. But importantly, uh, that's only if done right. And um, what I think we saw with a lot of people with ChatGPT was this journey of uh, asking it legal questions and getting these very believable answers and being very excited and then to find out, wait a minute, something's wrong, none of these cases exist, right? For instance, right? And um, this isn't the ChatGPT not working. In fact, that's kind of what they're designed to do is just put out uh, believable or highly probable text given what you gave them. And uh, the, you know, the people who released it, OpenAI, actually cautioned everyone, don't use this for anything important. But not everyone got the memo clearly about that. So what we've been doing um, at, at my company, Case Text, is really focusing on the responsible and reliable uh, leveraging of large language models. Um, not ChatGPT specifically, but something a little bit more advanced. And you know what that means you need to do is you need to anchor it to something truthful. And so, for instance, for legal research, you need to have the uh, AI not answer off the cuff with its own answer, but actually kind of design a search strategy that you then really run against a real case database and then you give the results back to the AI to synthesize. Um, and so by anchoring the AI into something real and truthful, 
you're able to get the power of it without the sort of dangerous, what they call hallucinations, uh, which is one of these terms of art that's also a great word for it, I think, just generally, right? It's a hallucination. That's kind of the way I treat Wikipedia. So I use Wikipedia as a starting place. And, uh, you know, that Wikipedia has some wonderful information on there, but I've noticed, I've, I have found instances where it's been just 100% wrong. And, you know, you might uh, notify somebody, maybe it gets changed down the road, you don't know. But I just use it as a starting place to kind of frame the issue. And so kind of using it as a research tool, just a tool only, just to get the job started. The rest of it, the accuracy, all that's still on the lawyer. So proper use, just kind of based on its strength right now, how would you use it in a litigation situation? Like uh, how far do you use the tool? Like you just said, kind of backstop it with, um, you know, with the search engine, but what else can you do to kind of supplement, fill in the gaps to make it a useful tool? Right. So, I mean, you know, with Wikipedia, it's a really a different caliber of problem, right? So Wikipedia, you know, the humans could put in something a little bit wrong. That's kind of true. But you're not going to see, for instance, like one of the things I tested with ChatGPT is I said, tell me what happened in the case of Biozyme v. Genensis. Completely made up case, right? And it then proceeded to put out this lengthy three paragraph description of a patent case, right? So it's very believable. So you don't really see that in Wikipedia, right, where people are just completely, um, you know, trying to fabricate answers to things that were just randomly asked, if that makes sense. So, you know, in terms of using just the raw chat GPT, I would say things like brainstorming questions for a deposition, right, might be one example, right? There you're not using it for the accuracy of something, right? You're not looking at it for facts, but maybe you're looking at it for certain ideas, right? You know, help me rework a certain phrase or sentence that I'm using and maybe give me five different variants that I might say. You know, that's the sort of thing where you can use the sort of, if you will, naked model and that will work. But for anything where there's a wrong answer, you really can't just use the model on its own. Sometimes it'll be right, maybe, but sometimes it will be wrong, but all the time it will seem like it's right. It never says, I'm not sure, but I think it's this, right? It will just give you an answer. And we were talking earlier uh, while we were doing our pregame, and I, I remember I did our research just on myself, just wanted to see what it knew about me, see, because, you know, I'll figure out if it's how accurate it could be. So I asked it, I asked it some questions, and, and I got some answers that were true, some answers that were totally wrong. But one of the ones that I thought was really funny was that I said, Is there anything negative to say about me? And it just didn't give me any information. It, it kind of hemmed and hawed and uh, said, well, You know, I don't really basically said, I don't really like to share negative information about people. It could be hurtful or whatever, but that is not useful. If you're a litigator and you need uh, to strengthen your case and your opponent, you want information about them, you're not getting the information you need to give your client the best opportunity in court. So that's one example right there. I was thinking as when Pablo was talking about, you know, how, how it, it sounds believable, even though it's wrong. It reminded me of one of my, one of my partners I used to have. And it was said of this guy that he may be uncertain. <laughs> he may be wrong, but he's never uncertain. <laughs> so right. that, that summarizes right. Chad GPT right. in a nutshell, I right. think. And, and, you know, to follow up um, what you said about how it wouldn't say something negative about you, right? So another difference when you're building this stuff for attorneys, there's some sort of safety stuff they put over the public one, right? Don't talk about violence, right? Don't talk about discrimination. But of course, the nature of law is often there's a lot of, there's something violent that happened that has to be resolved or there's some discrimination that happened. So we've actually, um, you know, removed those sort of safeguards in order to allow it to really be able to handle the wide range of things that lawyers have to face, many of which are quite unpleasant or, or even, you know, vile, frankly. Well, I think we're, uh, you know, pretty early in the adoption cycle of AI. I mean, ChatGPT kind of gave everybody a little bit of a look under the hood as to what it can do. And I think it's a useful tool. I mean, obviously, you got to take it with a grain of salt, just like everything else. But uh, just in the near term and uh, the long term, where do you think we're going here? So near term and then uh, follow up with long term, maybe two years from now, where do you think we'll be given 
where things are with it right now in terms of law and legal research and litigation. Right. I think in the near term, you're going to see a, a pretty remarkable transformation of basically every activity that a lawyer does. Because again, it's all built on language. There's no area of law or there, there's few areas of law where you can't apply it in some way or another. And in this regard, it'd be like something like the internet or computers, right? It's just a matter of time and sequencing. Two years out, given how fast these things are accelerating, honestly, even though that seems like a you know, long way, like it's, it's actually difficult to predict given how quickly they're moving. But I would expect in two years, um, everyone is using large language models and this sort of AI in the practice of law and frankly, in many other domains as well. You know. One of the questions people always ask, is this gonna replace lawyers? And I, in the near term, I don't think that it will because particularly as litigators, I mean, we are in the business of telling stories. We want to tell our stories persuasively to persuade juries, people, persuade humans, not computers, right? So as long as that's the case, you know, there's going to be an opportunity for, for lawyers and litigators to, to be able to, to, to uh, come up with a story and use tools like this to help. Now, long term, who knows? I mean, it, it could be someday that, that uh, these kinds of programs become very persuasive and, and are able to formulate stories because after all there is a pattern to stories right I mean if you if you read uh, read up on how to concoct how to develop stories you know there's some everything's normal something happens then something happens I mean there's so there's a pattern to it and so who knows in the long term but I think fundamentally the practice of law is going to shift and we will be doing different things as lawyers than we've done in the past and that's exciting and challenging and scary at the same time. Such an important point that Steve just made. As powerful as these uh, AI are, they are not a robot lawyer, they're not close to being a robot lawyer and um, there's so many things that they can't do that only a human can do. Um, and so I think that's really critical to see these as tools to aid, but it's still the attorney's responsibility. Um, you know, the attorney is still in charge. And uh, if used correctly, this will just be sort of wind at the sails, if you will. I likened it in the presentation today as, you know, we, when calculators came out, all this hue and cry that, oh my God, they're going to replace, we won't be able to do math and people can't do this. Well, we did just fine, right? And what calculators enabled us to do is do things faster and move on to more more intense and complicated problems without having to worry whether the arithmetic was right. And if there was a mistake, you know, if you made a mistake with your own arithmetic, you know, it, it screwed the whole project, right? Now that you have a calculator, that doesn't happen. A simple mistake in arithmetic doesn't happen and doesn't throw you off track. Same is true here, I think, in a lot of ways. Yeah, I like what you said there. You know, I, I have a finance background, and I remember uh, my professors in college were very adamant about teaching us to do financial uh, equations and problems by hand first. And then we went from there to the calculator. That was the next step. I remember that, to, yeah. So I didn't know how to I'll put it all together. But then they let us use the spreadsheets. And so there's a lot of built-in functionality in Excel. And, and it's all, you know, you could do some things. But you didn't get a true understanding of it until you got to see it by hand. So you could see how these complex uh, formulas would work. And it got you to think about how the numbers are playing out. So I like what you said right there. It's just a tool. You still have to have the, the basis of understanding of how it works to right. use it properly. And so I think that's the, the, the good foundation here. Well, and, and that's the, the thing with, with programs like this. I mean, people, you hear a lot about people saying, oh my gosh, it's the black box and nobody knows how it works and nobody knows how it decides. Well, you know, listen to Pablo's presentation and you start to say, oh, I kind of see how it works. I mean, not as well as he does, but conceptually I understand it. And when you can understand it, then you can understand why ChatGPT does what it does. It's not, it's not being 
wicked about it. That's just how it works. And so it, it, it becomes a lot clearer, and you can walk out and say, okay, I am com- more comfortable with this now. You know, I, I would say to that, it, this is a very strange relationship in terms of the black box. Um, <laughs> we can tell you how we created it, right? In terms of how it works on any given thing, it actually is quite, um, like, right. it's not something that we can comprehend. It's just done on such a mathematical, um, geometric sort of level. But at the same time, these language models will just kind of explain their work. They'll say, this is why I think it's this. So you have this strange period of like, is this a black box or is this the most transparent technology ever because it's literally telling me what it's thinking, right, if you right. will. But yes, I think um, you know, understanding the basics of how they're created, even at a high level, helps you understand why you know, if left to their own devices, they're prone to hallucinate. It's not that it's a bug. <laughs> it's what the, we taught them to do. That's right. right. Exactly. And so, um, you know, I, I would encourage attorneys, uh, you don't need to get a PhD in machine learning. You know, these, these things, there's a lot of ways to kind of get a, a basic understanding of what's behind here. And I think it's worth it because it, um, it really will have a huge impact, uh, an increasing impact on law. Well, we've reached the end of the road for this episode. I want to thank our guests for joining us. Thank you, Pablo. Thank you, Steve. You're welcome. Thank Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in. If you're here at ABA Tech Show, please come by and stop and see us at booth 735 in the Expo Hall. Uh, But if you're not here at the show, uh, please do us a favor and follow and subscribe or leave us a rating in your favorite podcasting app or on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon Music, and Stitcher, all the major podcasting apps. Until next time, I'm Lawrence Coletti, and you've been listening to On the Road, Legal Talk Network. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS, find us on Twitter and Facebook, or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. (laughs) 